You see, when we think of influencers, we think of the people that we just saw on the screen, the, the, the people who are so noteworthy that we would all know their names. But the reality is, the everyday or the uncommon influencer is the person who influences not because of their position or their authority or who they are. They influence the world simply because of the fact that they serve the world around them. In other words, this is kind of the, the summation of that. We will influence people like Jesus when we serve people like Jesus. We will influence people for Jesus when we serve people like Jesus served. And so this whole series, this whole arc is going through the book of Nehemiah as we've been tracking and traveling along. And it's looking at the strategic challenges that we face as a people as we look to serve and to love the people around us. And today we're going to talk about the verse that when I went through the entire book, I kind of, you know, just did a, an overarching read through. And I went and tried the next step, you know, chapter and verse and where are we going to and how are we going to subdivide this whole series. This was the only verse that I, when I read through it, I said, this is the verse, I'm just going to write this on my desk, and I'm going to write it on my desk as often as my desk gets erased. i got one of those cool little like, dry you know, erase board desks. And so I just wrote this verse at the top because for me, this is probably the most powerful idea that we're going to talk about in this entire series. Because we might have a commonality in this, but if you don't know me yet, then you don't know this. But if you know me, you think this is probably the best describer of me. I am easily distracted. Okay? I just want you to know about halfway through the sermon, something's going to happen. I'm like, oh, there's a bird, you know, because, and I have, you know, ADHD and, and, and a bunch of stuff like that, right? But, but some of you are like me in that, like you're, like you're doing something, and it's so easy to get distracted from whatever it is that you're doing. You're in the middle of an email, you're in the middle of a work thing, and somebody walks into your office, and they're well-intended and well-meaning, but they walk into your office, and they don't know that the fact that they just walk into your office, like you've been trying to get on track, and now you're on track, and as you're doing stuff, and you're being productive, and you're like in your work zone, and they just threw it off, I'm like, dude, there goes my afternoon, right? Because it's going to take me time to get back focused on what I was doing. And we all probably have different varying forms of that, but isn't that true? For virtually everything that's important in life, it's easy to get distracted. For virtually everything that's important in life, it's easy to get distracted. But isn't this also true? That the thing that distracts you from what you're doing is rarely as important as the thing that you're doing. You see, here's, here's what's true about me. It may or may not be true about you. But the things that matter the most to me, the things that are most important, if I were to go through and I were to make the priorities of my life, the things that are oftentimes the most important for me are oftentimes the easiest things to get distracted. Because too often, or all too often, the things that are important are the things that are not short-term ideas and short-term goals. And the things that distract us from those goals are things that are urgent and immediate now, here's, here's why I say all this, and this might sound a little, like, interesting and surface level and self-helpy, um, <clears throat> but isn't this true? For some of you, you've been struggling spiritually for a while, and that's the most important thing in your life right now. I mean, that's the primary thing in your life right now, is you know internally you have been struggling and wrestling with some doubt, but you've allowed a bunch of other things to distract you from actually paying attention to that. For some of you, you've got an addiction. And that addiction is the most important thing to take care of in your life. But what you know is that it's so easy that, that that's important. There's other things. There's more fun things. There's more urgent things. So sometimes it's more urgent. Sometimes it's just more fun. It's just interesting. You kind of get tired. You kind of get bored. You get a little bit, you know, exhausted from paying attention to this one thing. Some of us, it's addictions. 
For some of us, it's, it's an addiction, but it's not an addiction to substance. It's an addiction to attention. And so the most important thing in your life, unfortunately, or what garners the most attention is how many likes your last post got and how many comments it got. And you, in fact, feel unvaluable and invalidated because of the fact that not enough people paid attention to you. Isn't this true? Sometimes the things that are most important are the easiest to get distracted from. But if you could ever figure that out, I mean, if you could ever tackle that thing, if you could ever rid yourself of that problem, of that addiction, of that issue, of that desire for, if you could ever figure that out, not only would you be better as a person, you would be better as a Jesus follower. Like, it would clarify so many things. It would make so many things so much easier. So let me ask you a question. That's where we get diving into this. So why don't you tackle it? Why don't you pay attention to it? And why don't you dedicate yourself to fixing it? Well, as we're going to discover in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has some extraordinary words as he is fixing, basically, and paying attention to this project, this one thing that he has to do called a wall. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 1. Before we do, I want to give you a little bit of context to what's happened to this point. So, <clears throat> Some of you guys will you'll remember this from your history class, but uh, the short story is there was the nation of Israel. This was the God squad in the Old Testament, right? This was the chosen people of God. Well, they would be faithful to God and then unfaithful to God, faithful to God and unfaithful to God. And eventually God would, you know, send prophet after prophet and say, hey, if you guys don't start behaving yourselves on a regular basis, if you don't start behaving yourselves, basically what any parent would do, I'm going to put you in timeout. I'm going to put you in timeout. I'm going to have, you know, some people come up and they're going to take over who you are. And I'm telling you, you are going to have to listen. You're going to have to pay attention. So over and over they would disobey, disobey, disobey. So God did what any loving parent would do. He punished and he disciplined his children, not because he was mad at them, not because he hated them. It was because he loved them. And God knows what God knows for us as well is that the best possible thing in our life is him. That's not, that's not an issue of egotism or, or egoism or, or megalomania. It's just the simple reality that if God is the best, he knows he's the best and he requires that we put him as the center of our life, which is the most loving thing that he could possibly do. That's kind of another sermon for another day, but here's where we're going. Eventually, which is what you read in your history class, the Assyrians came in and took over the northern kingdom. The Assyrians came in, and, and, and they kind of you know, decimated everybody. And then after on, on the heels of the Assyrians, the Babylonians came in, and they took over the southern kingdom. They beat the Assyrians as the world superpower. They came out in, into the city or the nation of Judah, and specifically the city of Jerusalem. And they took all the best and the brightest, and they exported them into Babylonian ex exile. Well, on the world stage again, the Persians then took over the Babylonians as the world superpower. And there is this big decree that if you were exported in the Babylonian exile, you could go home. And so now a bunch of people who were from the Jewish, the, the, the Israelite, the city of Judah, or the nation of Judah, and the city of Jerusalem could now go home. Well, as they were able to go home, they got back to a city that was destroyed. The temple that Solomon built, destroyed. The walls, destroyed. In fact, it was virtually a ghost town to go back to. And so very few people went back. First, Zerubbabel leads this group of people back. Then... Ezra leads a group of people back. Jerubbabel builds the temple you know, somewhat back. And Ezra kind of leads the, the, the law and the people of God back. And then Nehemiah has his heart broken 
because he sees the walls of the city are lying in ruins. And the walls of the city was the first line of defense for a city. A, a, a city with walls was a militarized city. The best way I can describe this is this is like if you were me when you were a kid and you were super rebellious and you did tons of stuff wrong. And your parents had already taken everything out of your room that they could possibly take. Like if you were me, you know, I had a TV in my room when I was growing up. This was, you know, in like the 80s, you know, early 90s. And I used to watch Nick at Night. And if anybody, you know, everybody else watched like Bewitched or anything like that, okay, you're with me. The stuff that didn't have color on the TV was all black and white. And so um, eventually your parents, they take away everything they possibly can. And the most degrading thing that they can do is take away the doors, right? Like anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. I was going to say, anybody raise your hand if you, you don't have to raise your hand. But some of you were on that same level as I was, right? Like, like, like I was the kid that in class I got like the worst grades, but it was like pleasure to have in class, right? But, but when it came down to it, like I just didn't want to do what I was supposed to do. I would get distracted. There it goes. Um, and my parents eventually would take my door off its frame, and I'm like, oh, cool. Like you just feel so exposed when that happens. You just can't get any privacy. Well, that's kind of a very reductionistic view of what a city without walls were. And so Nehemiah dedicates himself and the people. He was a cupbearer to the king, feels the burden of God, goes back to Jerusalem, casts an extraordinary vision, and the people get to work and they start building the wall. Well, throughout the book of Nehemiah, there's been these, these people from the, from the surrounding areas, these governors from the surrounding area, and they didn't want the wall to be built. And the reason they didn't want the wall to be built is because, again, a city with walls was a militarized city. And Jerusalem was historically a very rebellious city. And so they saw this as a threat to themselves. And they did everything that they could to stop Nehemiah and the people of God from building the walls around the city of God. And in this, they're starting to get close to the end where we're going to pick up the story. They've tried a number of times to threaten. They've tried a number of times to say, the king's going to be mad. And they finally get to the point where they say, nothing else is working. We simply have to distract Nehemiah. Chapter 6, verse 1. So when Sambalot and Tobiah and Jeshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, in parentheses, Although up to this time, that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates. So we said, okay, we're getting close to the end of the wall. We've actually built it all the way up. Now all we have left to do is to put the gates in place. And all of the enemies begin to hear about this. And so this is their plan. Verse 2, Sambalot and Jeshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together. At some incredibly difficult word to pronounce, okay? At Hecaphirium, okay? In the plain of Ono, got that one. But they intended to harm me. So here was their plan. Okay, <clears throat> if we can't distract the people, if we can't, you know, have this big threat, here's what we're going to do. We are going to distract Nehemiah. We're going to distract Nehemiah. If we can take him from leading the people, from building the wall, we have seen what the nation of Israel has done over and over and over and over again, which is if you take out the leader, the people will scatter. If you take out the leader, the people will scatter. But we're having a difficult time taking out Nehemiah because every time we try to invade, they just get ready for the invasion. We, you know, they hear about it and they get ready for the invasion. They hear about it, they get ready for the invasion. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to to distract Nehemiah from the wall that he is building. We're going to tell him, Nehemiah, we want to talk. We want to have coffee with you, man. We, we've been, hey, we heard about the good things that you're doing. Come on, buddy. 
and distract him to the plains of Ono and have a conversation. But what's beautiful is this next verse. This next verse about probably, gosh, 10, 15 years ago, I heard a pastor named Andy Stanley give this, this talk that was honestly most of this is based off of. And this for me, this frankly for our family, has been a, it's like, it's like a north star for us. It's like a north star for me as I'm looking at all the things that can get distracting in my life. I'm going to tell you about some of those in a second. So here is the verse. Here is the thing. Here's the only part that I wrote down in the entire book of Nehemiah. Here's what he says. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. <clears throat> that distraction is interesting. But I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. you got to imagine, like, the imagery of this, right? Because Nehemiah is actually on the wall building. He's actually, like, up at the gates. And so you think there's probably some messenger that came up to him and said, Hey, Nehemiah. And he's like, yeah. You know, and the kind of a you know, the Monty Python type, like, uh, you know, visualization of what's happening right here. And, and as this is going back and forth, they're saying, Hey, you know, the fellas, we, I just caught. I haven't said this out loud, but I always just think about all these people because their names are a little bit difficult to pronounce. I just call them the haters, okay? So, like, the haters want to meet up with you and talk and have a conversation. It's an, oh, no, it's not too far away. You know, you should come and have a conversation with them. And he says, tell them I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Like, like physically, I don't want to come down because I don't want to leave the great work that I am doing. So let me ask you this. What is the great work that you are doing? What is the great work? What is the one thing that God has called you to tackle? What is the one thing that is the thing that should be the prioritized centerpiece of your life? Now, there is a little bit more attached to this message as we're going to find out in a few verses. But here was the pull for Nehemiah. What they were calling him to meet about was phrased in a way that it was an urgent matter. And here's what I know about you and here's what I know about me. We rarely get distracted by things we are uninterested or that are, are, are unurgent. There's a reason it pulls our attention away. But Nehemiah in the middle of this says, no, 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 I am doing a great work and I cannot come down from the wall. And he, he says the second part of this sentence to him, or this message to him, and he phrases it as a question, which I think is a beautiful question. He says, I am doing a great work, and I come, cannot come down. So why should I stop the work? Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now, why should I say no to this and say yes to this? Why should I say no to this and yes to this? Why should I say no to this great work and yes to this distraction? And here's why, if I'm just being honest, for me at least, I oftentimes say no to the great work and yes to the distraction. Because I buy into the idea that what I'm actually saying is I'm going to do both at the same time. And I can pick this work back up in a little We feel like we can say, or we don't have to have a yes or no binary decision. But isn't this true? 
every one of us, I don't care where you are in following Jesus, I don't care if you believe in God or not, you have one thing in your life that you know you need to tackle. And there have been little distractions along the way, and we just saw them as little distractions. And we didn't think we were saying no to the big thing, but in effect, we were. You see, here's the, kind of the, the underlying thought behind this. Saying no, you don't have the option to not say no. You will say no to something. You will say no to something. Here's all I'm saying. Why wouldn't we predecide what to say no to? If we have a thing that is the most important thing, if we have a, a, a task, if we have an area, if we have a spirituality, if we have a relationship, if we have an addiction, if we have an education, why wouldn't we say, this is the most important thing, and I know distractions are going to come, and I know when that distractions comes, I'm going to say no to something, so I am going to pre-decide, because not saying no is not an option, to use an intentional triple negative, okay, which means you will say no to something, so we ought to all pre-decide what we should say no to. So let me tell you how this works out in our life and our family's life. And, and this is kind of like, it's just, again, an underlying principle. Um, there are things as a pastor, especially as a lead pastor, that a lot of times a church or a congregation will expect of you or of specifically of me. But there are things because I know the most important work of my life the most important work in my life, and I have a lot of important works in my life. I have a family. I've got a wife. I've got two small children. I've got a church, for those of you guys who don't know me. Um, I also uh, CEO a, a meat company. It's, you know, we're all over the place and do a bunch of stuff in Publix and Walmart's when Dixie's Sam's pray again for Costco, you know. We're getting there. We're all kind of around the southeast, south Georgia, south Alabama, you know, panhandle of Florida. But in spite of that, oh, and by the way, I went back to grad school. There's a lot of things to distract me if you can't tell, Okay. But here's what I know, is that there is one work that is the most important work in my entire life. And it's not close, frankly. It is my family. It is my wife, and it is my children. A long time ago, I heard a pastor say this. He said, when Peter was talking to Jesus, Jesus said, you know, Peter, who do you, or who do you guys say that I am? And Peter said, I say that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, okay, yes, on, on that statement, on that rock, on this declaration, I will build my church. A little while later, Paul in the book of Ephesians said, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So here's what he said. Here's the summation to, to connect these two. Um, men, you are called to love your wife, and Jesus is called to build your church. So don't you dare try to build your church and let Jesus love your wife. Like, that should happen too, hopefully. But this ought to be your primary thing. So let me tell you a couple of rules that we have in our family. Number one, I rarely ever do weddings. I'm a pastor, and I don't know if you can tell, we have a fairly young congregation. A lot of people get married, okay? <clears throat> Some of you guys are thinking that, okay, ring by spring, ring by spring, you know. Got one more semester left, you know. But, but here's, here's how it works for us. I almost categorically, and so, so this is, again, this is for us. This for us draws some lines that says, okay, I am almost going to categorically say no. Now, that's no for now, not forever, because someday and the kids are gone and, you know, things are a little bit more, you know, free. Maybe we've, you know, 
scaled the company and sold it, and I never have to make another dollar again in my life, right? Like, like at some point, the, the answer will be yes, but no for now, not forever. So we categorically almost say no to weddings. In fact, here's how we say yes to weddings. Because I work, I call it a Hebrew calendar or a Hebrew work week, which means every single week I work six days a week. Saturday is my only day off in the work week. So here's what I do. I predecided a long time ago. But I'm not going to have my wife and my family suffer for the sake of you. I love you, but you're not my wife and my family. Because here's what I also know. If I say yes to you, I'm saying no to them. So I predecided I am not going to make that decision. So if you get married and all that kind of stuff, and you want to see if I can do your wedding, because I do do some from time to time, here's what we do. I you know, say, thank you so much. I'm honored. Will you email my assistant? My, e- my assistant emails my wife, because here's what I decided. If this is going to be in competition with my family, my family's going to make that decision, not me. I will not let my wife or my church be the mistress of my life. And I love you. I also almost never do afternoon meetings. Like late afternoon meetings, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Well, that's when everybody works. That's when everybody, you know, gets off work. And that's where meeting happens and come on the people. Yeah, and you know what it does? It forces us to empower the people and the staff and the leaders we have around us. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can do it too. I promise. You don't need me at every meeting. But here's what I also know. I have two small children. And just about the most important time of the day is 5.30 to 7.30 at night. And I will either decide that meeting's more important or my children's more important, but not saying no or, or saying no, I will say no to one of those two. I have decided this is the most important wall in my life. I will say no, but I will choose ahead of time which I will say no to, and I will not schedule more than one afternoon thing in the entire Sunday to Sunday week. And it's not because I don't love the church. Are you kidding me? I sacrifice for the church. For those of you guys who don't know, I practically pastor the church for free. Like this year, I'm probably going to give more to the church and the church is going to pay me. Not, not that I like make a ton, they just don't pay me much, okay? Just so you're like understanding how that equation works. But that's okay. Every time they say, hey, you know, we should give you a raise. It's been a while. We should give you a raise. It's been a while. I'm saying, no, no, no. I make plenty. Don't give it to me. Our staff needs it more than I do. But here's the reality. I love, I serve, I sacrifice. But I know and I will pre-decide. This is the wall. This is the most important thing. And I will categorically say no and I will pre-decide because not saying no is not an option. I will say no to something. And so if you don't, you know, agree with that, in fact, I challenge you with this. Especially if you're, you know, a parent and you have young kids as well. And you know that your job is going to take away from your family over and over and over and over and over again. And to implement this, it might mean that you don't take some promotions or you kind of take a demotion. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to sit down with your family, just gather them all together and say, hey, I want you to know that my career is more important than you. Like, you'd probably never say that out loud, right? So why would you say that silently over an extended period of time? For some of you, your education is the most important wall in your life right now. Especially if you're brand new to college, you are going to have so many opportunities to say yes to so many other things. But the north star in your life, the one thing that God has called you to tackle right now is your education. 
Because accomplishing this, acquiring this level of information and knowledge is going to set you up for the rest of your life. And there are interesting things, there are interesting people, but perhaps for you the most important thing is your education. I'm getting to some of that application too early, so let me finish these verses real quick, okay? All right, let's go, y'all be on the same page. See what I'm saying? Like, bird, here we go. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner, in the same way that Sambalot for the fifth time sent his servant to me. So they said over and over, and I kept saying, I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. For the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter. This is what the letter said. Now, he's trying to, now granted, an open letter for them was like an open letter for us. This was meant for everybody to be read so everybody would know, hey, these are the decisions that Nehemiah is making. So this is what it was written in, in, in it is reported, verse 6, among the nations, and Jeshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. Again, a city with walls was a militarized city, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up your prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel. In other words, Nehemiah, we want to help you. Verse 8, then I sent to him saying, no such things that you have said have been done. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop the work and it will not be done. They're thinking, if we can distract them, if we can scare them, then they're going to drop what they're doing, and the work won't be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. There's another narrative that happens where another way they try to distract Nehemiah and make him run to the temple, and he decides he's not going to run to the temple. But with the last few minutes remaining, I, I, I just really want to push this because I know you know for some of this it's this is an idea this is a thought that frankly it's pretty easy it's pretty intuitive it speaks to the power of focus so let me spend the last couple of minutes just really pressing this some of you the one thing in your life is you drink too much you know how I know you drink too much because some of you aren't 21 And some of you, it's because someone you love came up to you and said something and went something like this. Honey, I think you drink too much. And there was all kinds of defensiveness around it and you kind of knew deep down that something was, that that was right, that was accurate, that was true. But that's your wall. That's your wall. And there's going to be something inside of you that has the pride that wants to say, not me, not me, I can handle this on my own. But if that is your wall, we ought to allocate every resource that we have as Nehemiah did to tackling that wall. For some of you, the one thing is that you're addicted to pornography. And the reality is you have tried over and over to fight this alone and you think, Keepin, if I, Keepin, if, I, if, I, if I pray harder, if I try harder, if I work harder at it, if I just white-knuckle my will into submission, then, then finally I'm going to overcome this. But what you need is accountability. 
You need to tell somebody in your life. You need to tell the community group. You need to tell the guys that you're with or the girls that you're with or the, you know, whoever's in your group, whoever's in your people. We're going to talk all about groups and the importance of community next week. But you need to get with a couple people and say, I know that, that things in the dark grow in the dark, that things always grow in the dark. And all of us have areas that we can carve out in our lives that are in the dark. And so I know that I need to put someone or some ones in my life that are shining lights in areas of darkness in my life. And this is an area of darkness in my life. Will you ask me every single week how I have done with this? Because I need to know that someone knows when I mess up. Because I already know that my God knows. But here's the reality. If you're a young adult, young professional, and let's say your issue is, is drinking, your issue is pornography, let me, let me just give you a heads up. When you get married, that's not going to go away. You think, okay, my, my drinking thing is just a drinking thing now, and I'll be able to not do that in a, little bit, in a little bit of time. You know how many marriages have been wrecked because of that? Do you know how many, how many, how many children have had their families wrecked because of that? And some of you, that, that's your story. In fact, that's why you're here. And if that's you, let me just tell you, there is incredible grace for that. God did not expect us to moral our way into his good graces. He realized we weren't good enough. He died on the cross because of the fact that we could never good, never good ourselves into his good graces. That he forgave us of that. But then, post-salvation, he calls us from that. Some of us, it's debt. A lot of people are doing a lot of things and it's like a lot of fun. And you're tempted to buy stuff that you know that you can't afford because you want to impress people that you actually don't like. And you just need to say, nope. I'm building a great wall. And I cannot come down. For some of you, it's the allure of a relationship. Because you're tired of being alone. And you're tired of being isolated. And so you're tempted, and perhaps you're in a relationship that you know is not glorifying to God. And you know this other person, if, if you are going to spend the rest of your life together with this person, it's going to cause all kinds of difficulties and issues because, because they just don't value Jesus like you. You know God's called you to do something with your life. That's your wall. You need to say, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down from this wall. Some of you, it's simple. It's reading the Bible. It's praying. That you've said a hundred times before. I'm going to start reading. And I'm going to start praying. But then everything else got distracting and the life got busy and the world got busy. And you kind of just left it. In fact, let me tell you, if you're a freshman, let me tell you the I don't want to say definitively this is the most important wall in your life because you can hear from God just on your own. But let me tell you a wall that you might not see as a wall. In fact, in this Freshman 15 booklet, we spent the first five days talking about this. I think disproportionately the most important thing you can do in the next month, the next two months, is find yourselves a community of good friends to be and to live around. And here's why. Here's what everyone else knows and understood who's, who stood in your kind of circle and been in your circumstance. That the people you choose to surround yourself with now will, def will ultimately affect the direction and the quality of your life. 
You surround yourself with good people. He who walks with the wise grows wise. But he who, who surrounds himself with a companion of fools will suffer much harm. Solomon was the wisest man on planet earth for a reason. And your wall is to find good people. Because the people you surround yourself with will ultimately determine the direction and the quality of your life. So let me end with this. What's your wall? What's the category of things that you know that you need to say no to? Jesus has already died from it. But he's calling you now from it. Right? Jesus was going to be with Peter, but Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I know you are fishing for fish, but I have called you to something different. I have called to make you, I've been called you to be a fisher of men. I am calling you to this next part, this next process. But Peter, in order to do that, you're going to have to say no to these nets and yes to the pursuit of following me. What is the thing in your life? What is the wall in your life? What is the place in your life where you need to put it on your mirror? You need to put it on the front of your notebooks. You need to put it on the first, like the front screen of your phone, the second screen of your phone. It needs to be like everybody's contact name in your phone, right? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down from this wall because this wall is the wall that God has called me to. And so why would I say yes to this when I know I would this, that this is more important? Not saying no is not an option. So would you at least have the courage to pre-decide? And if you pre-decide wrong, would you at least have the courage to have the conversation with the person that you say no to, which you know is more important? So parents, when your kids are asleep at night, go into the room and say, I'm doing a great work, and this is my wall. Some of you, you're going to have teenagers, you're like, they are a piece of work, you know? You're not going to go at night because they're up so much later than you are, but you're going to go out there early in the morning, and I just want you to say, yeah, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down from this wall. When you have that, that, you know, that test, that thing coming up, there's almost so many people that want to go and hang out and do stuff. I'm doing a great work. When you wake up in the morning and you know you have a thousand things to get done, but you know you committed that your wall is to spend time with God every single day. You say, before I do anything else, I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down from this wall. I will not let what's urgent distract me from what is ultimate. I will not let what's most interesting distract me from what's most important. So I'm praying that God gives us the wisdom to know and to see what our wall is. And then simply gives us the courage to every day say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this example of Nehemiah. We all, like me, have such a tendency to get distracted by what's interesting, by what's urgent, from what's most important, and from what's ultimate. Would you give us the wisdom to know what those areas of are and the courage to act on it? For the person who's going through marital issues and they've been hiding it from everybody, would you give that couple the strength to say, this is the wall? We don't care who knows. We don't care who we have to talk to about it. But this is the wall. And I will not come down. For the person that's 
struggling through school and just trying to make it and, and, and it's just so difficult and they just want to be disengaged, would you give them the wisdom and the courage to say, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down? For the person who knows that over and over and over again, they've said that they're going to spend time with you, they're going to prioritize their relationship with you, they're going to go to you, they're going to seek you in your word, they're going to seek you in prayer, but over and over have gotten distracted. Would you help them to wake up every single morning and say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down? Would you burn so deep inside of us that not saying no is not an option. We will say no to something, so would you give us the wisdom to know what to say no to and the courage to do it. And I pray that whatever that wall is in our life, that work is in our life, that you would help us, Jesus, to be a better picture of who you are. That as we are committed to your work in our lives, we would be salt and we would be light. We would impact and influence because we are committed to what's most important. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for joining us, and thank you for joining us online. We love you. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.